everyone, Anna here. I wanted to jump in at the beginning of this episode just to let you know that's going to be a little bit different. Today we have an interview with Dr. Valerie Touré, who is an associate professor in the Laboratory of Tree Ring Research at the University of Arizona. We talked to her about her wonderful new book, Tree Story. We hope you enjoy this interview. We had a really great time talking to Dr. Truay and learning about the science of tree rings. Today we're talking with Valerie Truay. She is an associate professor at the Laboratory of Tree Ring Research at the University of Arizona and author of the new book, Tree Story, The History of the World Written in Rings, which is coming out with Johns Hopkins University Press. This book takes us through an exploration of the familiar, I guess, practice of counting tree rings and how this practice can tell us much more than just a tree's age. Uh, Dr. Trey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. So let's jump right in. Can you sort of start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a dendrochronologist and a little bit about what that science involves? Sure. Um, so my name is Valerie. Um, I'm Belgian originally, so if you hear an accent, that's because my mother tongue is, is Dutch. Um, I did all of my education, including a PhD in Belgium, and then moved to the U.S. afterwards. And I'm now a professor in the Laboratory of Tearing Research, which is a department of its own uh, at the University of Arizona. I moved there in 2011. Um, I became a dendrochronologist pretty haphazardly. I think that's the case for most of my colleagues. I don't think anyone um, <clears throat> as a kid grows up and thinks like, oh, I want to be a dendrochronologist when I grow up. Um, when I was looking for a, a topic for, for my master's dissertation, my master's thesis, uh, I was very much an idealist at the time. So I, I was studying environmental engineering and I wanted to do something that would um, improve the situation of the world. And um, my idea of doing that at the time was going to Africa. So I really wanted to go to Africa. And there was this one topic that was available um, that was set in Tanzania and that involved endocrinology. And so I was like, all right, if it allows me to go to Tanzania, um, I'll do dendrochronology. I'd never heard of it before. I went on a long field trip uh, fieldwork trip to Tanzania, came back, and when the samples that me and, and one of my uh, colleague students at the time, who um, who's now also a dendrochronologist, by the way, um, when the samples finally arrived in Belgium, um, and we started looking at the wood under the microscope, that's when the dendrochronology bug really bit me. I, I really like looking at wood under a microscope. I it's gorgeous. It's really beautiful. Um, and then doing dendrochronology, the actual act of, we don't just count the tree rings, but it, we match the patterns that we see in tree rings from different trees. And that process is called cross-dating. It's really a lot like putting a puzzle together. You're trying to match pieces from a puzzle together. So you can just spend hours doing it without getting bored. At least I could. Um, so that really, the combination of the beauty of the wood and then the process of, of you know, puzzling and, and in the process of doing all that, coming up with, with new scientific discoveries, it was really um, very exciting to me. And so I continued on to do a PhD dissertation on the same topic. And then I've 
never done anything else. I've been an endocrinologist ever since. So yeah, that's the story. Well, this book in particular is somewhat unusual in that it really reads like a memoir. And we've enjoyed the descriptions of your research and travels and adventures. Um, but we wanted to ask why write about dendrochronology in such a personal way? There's a couple of questions. Uh, sorry, a couple of reasons. Thanks for that question. Um, one is that I've, I've done quite a bit of outreach. So I give public talks and I uh, speak to the media uh, every now and then. And what struck me or what people often tell me is that when I give, when I talk about anecdotes, when I provide anecdotes or stories um, about my research, that's what really captures their attention. And that's what um, keeps them, you know, attentive to, to what I'm saying. And so I realized that, you know, through telling stories and anecdotes, that's a really good way of bringing the science to a, a broader audience, which is the intention of this book. It's not an academic book. It's a broad audience book. The other aspect of that is that, you know, tree rings lend themselves to that so well, right? They're a very approachable science. Everyone or most people have looked at the rings and trees as a kid and counted them and figured out that that's a way to determine how old a tree is. But there's, so there's, there's a, a concept there that most people are familiar with, right? We're not, I'm not talking about some far-flung galaxy or about some obscure enzyme. It's it's something very tangible that people are familiar with. And so we start, we can start from that and then build on that to come to the exciting, you know, really profound scientific uh, insights that we can get f- starting from that familiar concept. And I guess a third reason why is that there's, you know, it's a female voice. I, I'm, I'm a woman scientist. There's not that many books written by women scientists. And I think also talking about what that experience is like uh, to be a, a scientist and to do scientific research um, is important to, to bring that voice out there. That kind of leads me right into my next question, which is about being a woman scientist and being a woman dendrochronologist in particular, I think we often find that um, sometimes field sciences are sort of uh, more stratified by gender. And I just wonder for your field, if there's a kind of, with all of the sort of hiking and going to remote places to uh, sample trees, is there a kind of an aspect of like risk or ruggedness uh, about that kind of makes dendrochronology one of these sort of manly science sciences. Am I, I don't know if that's reaching, but could you just talk a little bit about, I think it's in our field as it is in many other fields um, in that there's actually quite a lot of women or it's fairly evenly distrib- distributed in the early career stage. Um, so PhD students, uh, master's students, postdocs, there's quite a lot of women also because there's there's a few important applications of tree ring science, right? One is ecology, the other one is climatology, and for those, those involve um, extensive field work. But then the third important application is archaeology and art history. Um, so we we use the rings and trees to date archaeological material or um, 
paintings or shipwrecks and so forth. And that traditionally is a field where there's there's very good uh, female representation. But as in many uh, academic fields, and I'm experiencing this now as as someone who's who's in a more senior position as an associate professor, representation of women declines as you go up the ranks. Let's put it that way. So there's fewer and fewer women um, in those more leadership positions. Yeah, in my book, I mostly describe. Um, uh, field campaigns in in more remote areas. Um, you know, I, I've often, I, that being said, I've often been the only women woman on a team of of men. For instance, when I was in in Siberia for ten days, um, which was pretty rough and rugged. That's that's <laughs> true. Um, but you can also do dendrochronology in your backyard, right, or or in the forest in in your. Uh, Campus forest, or your your uh, the park in your in your in the city where you live in. So there's there is an aspect of it um, that can also happen uh, closer to home, and that's less uh, adventurous, um, but more easily combinable with, with other aspects of life. Let's put it that way. So I love that idea that you said this is something you can do in your own backyard that you can do it anywhere. But one of the things that uh, in the book that I was most interested in is how this science kind of sits at the nexus of all these other fields. And you just mentioned some of them, um, like archaeology, and then other ones that you might not expect, like astronomy. What's it like to work in such a deeply interdisciplinary field? And how do you think that this affects how dendrochronology is done today? Yeah, very good question. Again, I to me it's very exciting because it means that you can meander in in your choice of topics and you can change. So for instance, I came in from an environmental engineering kind of a forestry background, then started uh studying the climate of the past through tree rings. So I kind of veered in that direction. And now and more and more, I realized like, oh, we're in a u- unique position with this uh, climate history that we're putting together to also look at how climate has influenced human history. So we're I'm, I'm moving a little bit in that direction. So you're really not limited to, to any topic, which makes it, you know, continuously exciting. You don't easily get bored as a dendrochronologist. The other aspect of that is that I mentioned I'm a professor in the laboratory of, of cheering research. So we're a department of our own. There's about 12 faculty um, who all specialize in cheering, in dendrochronology and cheering science. But some of us are archaeologists, some of us are chemists, some of us are hydrologists, some of us are first ecologists, some of us are climatologists like myself. So it's it's really a mixture of bringing together um, these various fields um, that really creates a, a ground for for deep thought. Let's put it that way. And and to be fair, it's also a nexus that is really relevant for our earth system and human system as we're moving forward. Right. This this combination between forest ecology and climatology and and uh, human ecology, the combination of the three is very powerful. It's a very important topic to study moving forward. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you more about that, about working in climate science, and obviously that's a very politicized place to be, and I'm just curious about your experience doing this kind of work, and I don't know, I'm sure you've received 
some pushback about your findings or, you know, stuff like that? I must admit, I've been fairly uh, lucky so far, as in the pushback has been fairly limited by, by let's say, well-known climate deniers who just push back on every single study that comes out uh, regarding science. But it's not been very open into the public sphere, which I'm very grateful for, because especially, again, as a woman climate scientist, um, you're very vulnerable uh, to attacks from climate deniers or climate skeptics. It can be quite vile. Um, But personally, I've, I've I've not experienced that. Uh, knock on wood, maybe because I'm working with wood, I've been I've been lucky in that way. But I do describe in the book um, a famous example of that happening is is when uh, my colleague Malcolm Hughes and his colleagues uh, Michael Mann and and Brad Ray Bradley brought out uh, or published what's now called the hockey sticks or retrieving based uh, reconstruction of temperature over the last one thousand years that shows that the most recent year at that point in time, uh, the year 1998, was the warmest year over the last 1,000 years. Um, so that study was published in, in 1999, and it got a huge amount, a huge amount of um, pushback um, from, that's really unleashed uh, climate deniers um, because it was such a prominent study. It was... Um, part of the IPCC report at the time. It was on all the media, it was on TV and so forth. Um, so that really created a very strong uh, climate denial uh, pushback, even from the, um, even as far as in, in, in the US Senate. Um, so, so I do describe that story in my book, but personally I've, I've been not as uh, subject to such strong uh, pushback so far. Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask just one question. Um, what is something in the field or in your research personally that you're most excited about at the moment? One of the applications of treeing research that I'm really um, passionate about is how we can use treerings to look at forest fires in the past, so at fire history. So I've done a lot of that work in California. And it's really um, told us the story of fires in the American West that we didn't, without treatings, we wouldn't know that story. We wouldn't know that in the past there used to be frequent uh, ground fires that we've then put out um, in the beginning of the 20th century. So, so even, I mean, there's a photo in a book as well that just shows it's such a, beautiful you can see the scars in the wood that those fires left you can date them using dendrochronology and so you can really come up with fire history in a in a very extensive and and detailed way uh, to the extent that we've been as i mentioned uh, able to put together the fire history for the american west but also look at how climate influences those fires how land use change has influenced these fires, for instance, how the fires in, in California changed after the gold rush, how they changed after the establishment of the missions, how they changed after the establishment of uh, the Forest Service and so forth. So I think that really, as we were talking about the nexus between ecology, climatology and, and um 
a human history. And I think the study of forest fires through dendrochronology really puts those three aspects together beautifully. Well, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to cover? <laughs> I think one last thing is that I, I haven't really talked about that, but, um, you know, with, with tree rings, we study the past, but trees also play a really important role for our future, right? They capture CO2 out of the atmosphere. So they're one of the solutions um, to mitigating uh, man-made climate change. And I think there's an important role for tree rings there as well to see how much carbon can we capture? Uh, how can trees, how can we use trees as a solution? Um, and I think that's, that's, I think that's a beautiful thing as well that we, it allows us not only to look at the past, but also to uh, look at what might come in the future. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up and a really nice kind of sentiment to wrap up on. Dr. Chue, thank you so much for joining us today and congratulations on the publication of your book. Thank you so much. Like our episode today, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners can find us. If you have questions about the interview, tweet us at, at LadyXScience or use the hashtag LadySciPod. For show notes, episode transcripts, to sign up for our monthly newsletter, read articles and essays, pitch us an idea, and more, visit LadyScience.com. And we are an independent magazine, and we depend on support from our readers and listeners. You can support us through a monthly donation with Patreon or through one-time donations. Just visit ladyscience.com donate. And until next time, you can find us on Facebook at, at LadyScienceMag and on Twitter and Instagram at, at LadyXScience.